In the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, The text before us is quite simple. John the Baptist is in the wilderness and he is preaching. And the Pharisees, they send priests and Levites from Jerusalem to go question him, to interrogate him. Um, And they ask him if he's the Christ. uh, And then again, if he's Elijah and if he's the prophet. And then he says no. And that's it. And that's a very straightforward text. That's all that's going on there. However, there, there are a lot of things going on behind the scenes, uh, implicit in this text and what's happening. Um, the, and I want to bring out some insight here to the background and the context to understand John's response and why he's responding that way and what he says, how significant it is. So John is called by God. He has a divine call by God Almighty to uh, not only to be a prophet, but to be the last prophet, to be the prophet who prepares the way for the Lord. And this is a unique place among all of the prophets. He's the prophet of the prophets. Uh, He is the end of the Old Testament, the beginning there of the New Testament. And he's preparing the way for Yahweh himself, for God himself. Uh, And the way... And the way he's doing this, what God called him to do, is to, to preach and to baptize. That's what he gave him to do. Uh, and the Bible says that he baptized all people. Now, uh, Luke chapter 3 says all the people were baptized. Uh, Mark chapter 1 says it more explicitly. It says, John the Baptist prepared or appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him and they were confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, I usually skip over this detail because I never thought much of it. However, but if, if we lived in those days, we would recognize how odd those words were. And how weird it was that it was saying that, that all of the people, all of the Judeans, all of the people in Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized. And here's why. The Jews had a once and for all uh, cleansing or washing uh, for people who converted to, um, uh, to the religion, uh, to, to Judaism. And this was for new converts. This was for people who, were, who didn't grow up in this. And so they were brought in through that means. But here, John is baptizing all people, even the Jews by birth, even those who already received this other cleansing, uh, those who were circumcised, those who went to the synagogues. In other words, John is treating lifelong Jews like brand new converts. That's what he's doing here. And this shows us that something new and something different is now happening. Uh, The Old Testament is now being fulfilled here in the new. The other thing to notice is this uh, that's interesting. The priests and the Levites, they go to interrogate John, and they simply ask the question, who are you? That's all they ask. And then John says, I am not the Christ. So they asked a broad question, who are you? It could be anything. And he answers very specifically as as if he's saying, I already know what you're thinking, and I am not the Christ. 
And so I'm going to beat you to the punch here before you even say it. I'm just going to say it. And by his response there, they ask this broad question. He answers very specifically. That shows us that there's something going on behind the scenes in the background that we don't really get explicitly here in the text. We also see it in the rest of John chapter 1 uh, in the earlier verses. What's going on here is this, is simply the point. Next to Jesus, John is the greatest preacher who ever lived. Hands down. No other man born of a woman was even close to the way this man preached. He was a greater preacher than all of the prophets, all of the apostles, all, greater than Elijah, greater than Isaiah, greater than Daniel, greater than Jonah, better preacher than Martin Luther, than any preacher you've ever heard in your entire life. This man was the best preacher. It was amazing. Uh, Jesus, Jesus himself called him the greatest man born of a woman. And the, the Lord Jesus praises John the Baptist, in a way that he does not speak or or, or talk about anyone else in the history of the world. We can get that not only from the words of Christ, but we can also deduce it from what the Gospels say, from the context. John was bold, he was assertive, he was clear. He didn't preach in these like flowery flowery ways and uh, he wasn't politically correct or really tugging at people's heartstrings. He simply spoke the truth plainly and clearly, assertively. And John, we know, captivated multitudes of people, massive crowds of of people. He was a phenomenal preacher. He preached into, into their hearts like no one else could. He was speaking to their souls. And in fact, we know this, that people would give up their drunkenness and their adultery and their theft willingly after hearing this man preach. That's how powerful this was, that people's lives were completely changed. Unbelievers became believers because of his sermons. And it wasn't just uh, his charisma or uh, anything like this. It was the doctrine that he was preaching, which was so pure and clear. Um, He didn't have just a few followers, but many Uh, He captivated crowds. And what's fascinating about this even more is that there was no powerful organ playing or choir playing or music while he preached. Uh, He wasn't in a beautiful sanctuary or anything like this. He didn't do any miracles or signs. Um, He wore camel's hair and he ate locusts and was in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. And with his words alone, he captivated thousands of people there, that they would stand in the heat of the day to hear him speak. Here's the point, is that John preached so beautifully, so powerfully, and with so much comfort uh, by preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins, that people began to believe that he was the Christ. They began to believe that he was the Messiah. And they thought that this man, because of the way he's speaking, has to be the savior of the world. I came across a writing this week as I was studying for the text uh, called The Clementine Recognition, something I hadn't read before. 
And it speaks of a sect whose followers claimed that John the Baptist and not Jesus was the Messiah. And they continued to hold on to that belief. Uh, Another text that I came across was Ephraim the Syrian, which was written in the 4th century. And there were groups of people at that time who created a religion around John the Baptist. (laughs) Nearly 300 years after he lived, they they still had this religion uh, uh, gathering and meeting around this man. Because some people thought he was the Messiah. And if you heard him speak, if we were there at that same time, you and I would have been confused too. We would have been there hearing him and not known what to think. And been completely confused because of the way this man is speaking. Uh, just, just an aside here, or like a footnote here to the sermon. Uh, one of the dangers with pastors and preachers is that hearers can become too attached to the preacher and to the pastor. That is a danger, uh, as we see here so clearly. They become attached more to the man rather than the word he's speaking. Uh, They think that there must be something special about this man because of the things that are so special that are coming out of his mouth. And so therefore, it must be this guy. It must be his personality. It must be his heart, his soul, his faith, whatever it is that this man somehow is, um, is, is more than just a man. And they think that the reason that they have this comfort um, must be because of him and not because of the word. So then they lose sight of that. There is a massive temptation and danger uh, for that. By by now, um, I'm sure that you may have heard and know of certain people like uh, Jim Jones and David Koresh and Joseph Smith and Charles Manson and these cult leaders and things like this. There's, There's plenty, many of them. Many, if you look into this, many of these groups started out as Christians, Christians groups, um, speaking that the leader would speak in the name of God, in the name of Christ, using the words of Scripture and using the Bible itself. And then somewhere along along the way, these wicked men recognized this, and then they took advantage of it and took advantage of these people. And it turned into these horrible, awful things that uh, led to unspeakable acts. By the way, I don't think this is the way anyone here at Zion thinks about me. Thanks be to God. Uh, I make way too many mistakes to be confused for the Messiah or anything. Um, But I do want to point out a danger that this kind of creeps up into churches even today. And I've heard this not only here, but I've heard it in other places as well. Other churches talking to other members of other congregations. And they would say they have this great love and affection for their pastor. They love him. They say this... This pastor has been there for me through all these things. And then they'll say something like this. They'll say, "Um, if this pastor, if my pastor took a call, I don't think I would come to this church anymore. Or I don't think I would be here. Um, And as flattering of a sentiment as that is, it is very, very dangerous. It is very bad. Uh, We ought to repent of thinking that way. Um, 
you ought to keep going back to that church and recognize that the reason you're there is not because of the man or the personality or how close you were to the person, but because of the doctrine. And you remain there as long as the doctrine is pure and taught, even if it's boring, even if it's delivered in the most boring way. If it's pure doctrine, then you give up all things and you stay there. That is the church that God has called you to by the gospel. But when the gospel leaves, when that pure doctrine is gone, then you leave too. First, you try to bring the pastor to repentance. You try to bring it back and save that congregation. But if not, if they refuse, then, then you leave. Only then you leave when that doctrine has gone. Um, okay, back to the sermon, the main point. John was an astounding preacher. He was a very solid and faithful preacher. The Pharisees, they went out, they, they had to figure out who he was, so they said, who in the world are you? You came out of nowhere and you preach like nobody we've ever heard before. Everybody's now thinking that John is the Christ. John knew that. And so when they ask him, who are you? That's why he says, I'm not the Christ already. And then they go on and say, well, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And there's so much to unpack in those words. I can't do it here this morning. Those are the weighted terms. Everybody would have known what the, that was talking about. Uh, they figure this guy has to be someone special, and they, they, they ask these questions. And then John says this, and he responds to all of it with these words. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Um, he could have talked about himself, how he was the cousin of Jesus, uh, that Jesus called him and thought of him as the greatest man born of a woman. He was the prophet of the prophets. He could have gone, gone into all of these things about himself. And then he says simply, I am the voice, which is a voice here today and gone tomorrow. That's all I am. And then he says this, which is even more powerful what follows. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And that is a powerful confession. John could have made this all about himself. He could have said, I'm the reason all these people are here. I'm the reason there's these multitudes. I'm the reason people are giving things up. I'm the reason for all this. And instead of making it about himself, he made it about Christ. He made it about him. And he's saying, look, look, I am just a voice. I'm not the guy. I'm not the main event. But the guy, you, I'm just preparing for the guy to come. And you haven't seen nothing yet. I'm preaching about the Lamb of God. What I have been sent to do is preach about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the one who comes after me is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will be that one. The one who comes after me doesn't speak for God. He is God. That's his confession. And then John says the most astounding thing. He says, um, among you stands one you don't know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Just to put it into context again, taking off somebody's sandals to wash their feet is the work of a slave of a servant. And it was the work of the lowest servant in the house. The, the, the most lowly one. The, the, the thing that nobody else wanted to do. It was a disgusting sort of thing. 
And John says, I am not even worthy to untie the strap, singular one, of his sandal. In other words, that untying the Lord's sandal, of the sandal of Christ, is a work too high and too noble and too beautiful and too honorable for me. That I'm, I can't even do that. Is so far above him even to do that. And I want you to make note, everyone is saying how great and outstanding John is. And he simply says, I am not worthy even for the lowest, most menial, most filthy task for him. John the Baptist recognized that he is the voice, but that Jesus is the word. And then if you notice in the text, I know it wasn't here in the gospel lesson, uh, but if you keep reading, if you open your Bible, John chapter 1, and you keep reading unto the next verses, the very next day John then says, he points to Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when you put this all together, you see in one breath, he says, Jesus Christ the Lord is so high above, so far above us, so pure and so holy and so mighty that not even the greatest one born of us is worthy to untie his sandal. And then yet in the next breath, he says that this one came to bear the sin of the world. And that is the truth. That when God came to this earth, he endured what was so far beneath him. To a degree we cannot even imagine the depths of the depravity that he faced in this life. And he did that for you and for me and for John and for all the prophets and the apostles and all Christians and all people of all time. He endures what is so far beneath him for those in the church, for those not in church, for those who have come, for those who are not here, for those who listen, for those who don't, for the entire world. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not our sins only, but those of the entire world, uh, as, as John says. We are not worthy to unstrap his sandal, and yet he comes to bear our sins, the filthiest of them, the most disgusting of our sins, the worst of them, all of them. And he comes to endure mistreatment, and he comes to endure spit, our spit on his face, one of the most disrespectful things you could do to someone, and he endures it. And he comes and he endures the cruelty and the violence and the hatred against him. And he comes and he opens up his veins and he spills his blood and he gives all of the breath in his lungs, his entire life he pours out for us. This is what he did on the cross for you. He endured the great shame of the cross for you. Dear saints, this one is none other than Jesus Christ the Lord the one whom the prophets foretold, before whom the angels fold their wings and bow. This is him. And this one lays his life down before us, poor, miserable sinners. We are worms before him. We don't deserve to even touch him. 
And yet he gives himself to us completely. And he forgives all of our sins. This one whom John spoke of is the one who comes to us today and who will come to us again tonight in his lowly manger and birth. Also this day, in a few moments, uh, Lou will come and confess the Lord's saving name before God and before this entire congregation. And he will be numbered with the saints here on earth, here at Zion, and with the saints of heaven in confessing his name. And uh, Lou, even though you are not worthy to unstrap uh, even the, the sandal of the Lord, and even though you're not worthy to even come to this church or be a part of it, or even to have life and breath, Christ, in his great love for you and in his great and profound condescension, deigns himself to be with you this day and to come to you entirely, giving you not a part of him, but all of him, his very body and blood for you to receive, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. He endures what is so far beneath him for us to lift us up. And the Lord will not only do this with Lou, who confesses his name here, but for all of those who have confessed his holy name and doctrine here before men. May God bless all of you this day as Advent comes to a close. And may God bless you and prepare your hearts to receive him at the altar this day as he comes to you in bread and wine with his body and his blood, taking your sins away, giving you peace beyond measure and joy that overwhelms us. To this, uh, in, in this day, we receive him also uh, in the manger tonight as we remember all that he endured for us, what the purpose of his incarnation was, uh, that he would come to you for your sake. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.